bulldogs. So you've got, got, got to smile, but not smile like you know, the dentist smile. We are now live. We are live on LinkedIn. We're live on Facebook. We are live with British growers. Can everyone uh, say hello? Should we go for a collective hello? One, two, three. Hello, hello, hello. hello. And, and what uh, Jack and I were really keen to do is to get a really interesting, eclectic mix of, of experts within within the food sectors for this broadcast with British growers. So we've, we've got a bit of a structure, we've got a bit of a plan, but we're just going to see how it goes. But we're really keen to introduce you to some key, key people. But rather than me introduce them, let's get them to introduce themselves. Jack, you go first. Who are you and who do you represent, please? <laughs> Yeah, it's Jack Ward, and I head up the team at the British Growers Association. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. And, and let's keep going with the uh, with British Growers. Coral, who are you and who do you represent, please? Hi, so I'm Coral Clark. Um, I work for British Growers, and today I am representing the LSA Fellowship Scheme. And that's, um, I was doing quite a lot of research on, on that last night, Coral. That sounds fascinating. It sounds such a good... Uh, an, an initiative and we'll, we'll do, do a deep dive with, you, with yourself a li little bit later. Uh, Barbara, who are you please? Hi, I'm an independent food safety and nutrition consultant. I'm also in my free time, the co-chair of the Oxford Farming Conference and a trustee of the Nutrition Society. So always wearing more than one hat. Yes, one of the busiest ladies in, um, in, in fresh produce. And uh, we're very excited that we're gonna be uh, doing a, uh, what should we call it, uh, Barbara, a teaser broadcast about the Oxford Farming Conference um, later in uh, later in August, um, and I, I think I think you're quite keen to talk about the content that's coming up, Barbara, for that. But also, uh, you might be reaching out to get people to assist, especially on the likes of the marketing side of things, uh, in the respect of speaking. Definitely, we're looking at our digital content, we're looking at our physical content, and wanting to make it a real good return to Oxford because people have missed it after having a purely online event earlier in the year. So we want to be back and back with a bounce, I think. Yeah, but, and uh, Barbara was just telling Rakesh earlier about some, some great examples of some of the amazing networking that happens at uh, the Oxford Farming Conference. Uh, uh, Rakesh, who are you? Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Rakesh. I work uh, in the client service team at uh, Qatar. So working in the produce industry for the last uh, almost four and a half years or so. So about four years service team and the last kind of three to four months uh, in the new business team. Uh, we, we were very lucky to have Rakesh on the, the last broadcast we did with the, with Jack and the, and the feedback that we got, Jack, about Rakesh's presentation mm. of the, the, the magic dust looking in the, um, in, in the crystal ball as to what is, what is coming up. Um, information is power and we're lucky to have uh, Rakesh on um, again. Um, so just before we, we go live with Rakesh, what, what's everyone seen? It's been quite a tumultuous, um, tumultuous uh, month. Um, I was on um, Times Radio, was it last week with uh, Mirella Fostrop talking about the issues of um, haulage um, and um, um, empty supermarket shelves. Do, do we think we're all over that? Are, are, we, are we now pointing them in the right direction? Jack, what are you saying? No, there, please? no, Max, I don't think we are. I think um, I scribbled down a couple of things and that was high on my list of um, issues to discuss because um, no, I don't think it's gone away at all. I think um, you know, we've been having conversations, particularly with the brassica industry, where you know, their experience is one of you know, struggling to find labour. Um, there's intense competition for the labour that's available, particularly from other industries, from hospitality. Um, so labour is an issue, haulage has become an issue, packaging has become an issue. And just off the back of that, I think the other problem that they're all experiencing is that because there's a shortage, the prices are just going yeah. through the roof uh, and are far outstripping the sort of returns that um, they've agreed with the retailers, you know, probably six months ago. So you've got this real squeeze on at the moment, which, um, you know, is making life really difficult. And the other thing I was just going to mention, I know it's tedious to kick off with the weather and, you know, it seems a very British thing to say, but actually it's getting more serious than that. And when we look at some of the situations we've seen in Germany and Belgium, that's just oh. tragic, the amount of rain that's coming down. And whilst here in sort of the western edge of East Anglia, I think we haven't fared too badly. We had over the past couple of months, we've had a reasonable mix of um, warm weather and um, rain, although not great for cereal harvest at the moment or anybody trying to make hay. Um, but we were down in Kent last week and you know, there were orchards there which had been flooded. There were houses yeah. there that had been flooded. And just 
you know, this knowledge that as the, um, you know, the climate warms up, it's going to pick up more and more moisture and dump it down in ever increasing quantities. I mean, you know, over the past couple of days, just the amount of rain that comes down in a short space of time is fantastic. And longer term, that is going to have an impact on how we grow food. Absolutely, no doubt about it. And just go back to your point, Jack, about uh, the, the haulage and the labour issues. It's, it's interesting how the media, they ran with this as a, as a key story last week, but we've now moved on. But the, but the issues are still there. Barbara, are you seeing that with your clients? Definitely. I think the, the whole ping, pandemic or whatever it was called, was yeah. causing real problems where people couldn't run all of their lines, not because they didn't have all the other resources, but it was physically bodies on the line so you know people who were trained to do a certain job on that line if they didn't show up the whole line can't run and then you so it has a knock-on effect or particularly in the food industry I don't know how other industries work but what tends to happen is you might have two or more people from the same household working in a business and when you get that okay. pin come through it means the whole you know there's a few yeah. people who can't go into work so it has a ripple-on effect and disruption throughout the entire business. Yeah, with with this uh, radio interview I did the other day, I, I, you've heard me say it before, but I, I keep on quoting this internal phrase within government that we are but four missed meals from anarchy, um, and it it really put Marella Fostropper back back on the heels when I when I said that that we need to have this flexibility within uh, within government in the respect to loosen up the the testing for HGV drivers and also the the, the whole pandemic thing. Jack, I'm trying to find positives here. Do you, do you think this is just another speed bump that the, the sector, the growers have got to get through over this next 18 months? Or is, it, is there going to be some seismic changes off the back of it? I think, I think eventually the thing will settle down. I think one, one thing the fresh produce industry is very good and the supply chain is very good. It's being adaptable and finding solutions to the problems it's facing. Um, I think we just need a bit more understanding from government that there is a really serious problem out there and they need to take this uh, seriously and they need to think long and hard about where the additional labour is going to come from. Um, I was in our local supermarket on Sunday morning and they'd halved the amount of space given over to fresh produce. Wow. And it was that bad. And, okay. and what they had got was pretty Spartan too. Okay, uh, but, but Jack, British growers, you're very well connected. You're experts at lobbying into into government. Can, can you see that government will 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 adapt, or is the prime minister too busy having babies? I just think they have got so many issues confronting them at the moment. Um, you know, what's difficult, I think, is getting airtime with government ministers. Um, and getting them to focus on the things that are important to us. I think there are just so many issues confronting them. It's probably a question of where do I turn next? You know, which issue is going to trip me up uh, more than the next issue? Uh, you know, where's the next crisis coming from in terms of, you know, our public image and our public relations? And I, I suspect that's probably what's driving a lot of the way our country is governed at the moment. But, you know, let's hope for better things. Let's hope that the pandemic, you know, we see the back of it and we can get back to a more, more normal pattern, you know, and have these serious conversations, which are so important because there are issues out there, you know, which may not be at the top of the entire cabinet's agenda, but they're very much at the top of the fresh produce agenda. Yeah. Jack Ward for Prime Minister. It starts here. Um, right. Shall we shall we um, kick on? Because we, we've got we've got to hear from Rakesh and we know that Rakesh has um, got, got other things to do. Um, Jack. Barbara, Coral, can you just turn off your, your video and uh, we'll move over to our, our soothsayer for the, for the, for the sector. Ooh, that's, a, that's a nice new term, term for you, Rakesh. So Rakesh, have you got your, oh, you, there you go. He's, he's the expert, he knows what to do. There we go. So, so, so Rakesh, if it's okay, just, just as a, um, they were talking about it on the, on the radio this morning, within Kantar, I've, I've been very privileged to have been to your offices prior to um, or the pandemic thing. How are you guys operating? Are you still operating from home? Or are you anticipating that you're going to come come back to the office? Are, are you doing are, are you doing uh, uh, somewhere in between? Uh, doing a hybrid model? What, what are you doing within Cantor? Yeah, sure. So over the last kind of year and a half, um, I've actually moved out to London, where the offices are, uh, back to my family home in Leicester. Uh, but we do envisage to go back into the office from October onwards. Um, it won't all full working week, you know potentially one, maximum two days, and then as restrictions um, ease even more, and hopefully things start to get back to normal uh, from, from a total level, then you know, we start to get into the office a bit more often. 
Um, so mix of blending working from home and the office is kind of optimal. Uh, and we look to see, the, see it through that way uh, for the next year or so. No, th thank you, because it's always interesting for um, everyone listening in, because uh, I know there's a number of produce businesses who are um, a, a bit confused as to what was the best way to go. Should they be relinquishing all their rented offices um, mm. um, or, or, um, or renting them out if they got them and getting everyone from working from home? Or is it more beneficial to have everyone uh, working uh, working in? I, I think we just got we got to we got to get through this period and, and see what see what happens. Rakesh, should, should we go back to the subject at, uh, at hand? Should we let you roll with it? Sure, fantastic. Uh, thank you very much, Max, for that. So, hi everyone. So this is my actually my second broadcast here um, on, on this show, and um, I presented a few months back on the produce market. So what I'm going to do is to basically give an update using the latest data that we have, which as you can see there, length of July of 2021. Um, give a brief update and talk about some of the key themes that we've seen in the market over the past month or so. So just to kick off, um, what we're looking at here is essentially rolling value and volume data uh, for total, total produce. We can see there when the pandemic hit, you know, some of these numbers are pretty, pretty drastic, right? Um, right up until double digit growth, um, up until peak. We're starting to now analyze and some really tough numbers. And a lot of our clients are now also seeing um, similar, similar numbers in terms of really hard annualization. So this is something that will continue to happen over the next few months. So what we need to do is really understand why is the market behaving in a particular way? And what we can do is to really understand the KPIs behind the data. Um, so what we can see there, total produce, 13.7 billion pounds going through the tail. That represents a 3.1% growth rate versus last year. And you can see the key reason for that growth has been trip size. That simply put, shoppers putting more produce in their baskets than before. So bigger baskets and fewer trips have been the key message for, for produce over the last year. And although in the last graph you can see that you know, we saw a slight dip in terms of analyzation, you know, shoppers still spent an additional £877 million pounds on total projects in the last 52 weeks, which is absolutely fantastic. And a lot of our clients are now analyzing onto hard numbers, as I said. So what they're doing is we're now looking at 2019 as a comparison rather than 2020. And if we do that for total projects, you can see that even more so that trip size has become an even more important KPI for produce growth. Having said that, what we can do is that to actually look at these KPIs and plot them over time. So you can see there, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019, produce is ticking along you know, quite well, price being quite a key driver for growth as it, as it is a very um, kind of price-driven industry. And the pandemic hits, and in the dark blue, we have trip size really contributing to that, that produce growth. However, in the last few periods, we can see that actually uh, frequency has become a more of an important KPI. So that shoppers making more frequent trips to the produce fixture and buying produce. So we've seen this uplift in frequency. So what's actually happening here? Well, online has become a really important for produce and we'll talk a bit about online in the next few sections, but online purchasing has over-indexed for frequency over total market. And the retired life stage, you know that they've been vaccinated, high vaccination rates for, for this particular life stage, so they are becoming a bit more confident of going back into store as well. So I'm going to talk about three key themes which we've seen in the market. So talking a bit about prepared produce, because we have seen some quite interesting changes over the last few months. We're going to talk about online, um, similar to what we did last time, and also a changing financial outlook. And I promise insight is more interesting than the, than the title suggests. So looking at the latest data, so this is 52 weekending data, 11th of July, we can see that yes, fresh veg and fresh fruits have actually grown quite well, so 2% and 3.7% respectively, but actually it's prepared sector, which is starting to see some gains back into the market. It really struggled for a while over, over the kind of the key pandemic periods over the lockdowns, and we're starting to reopen a bit more. We're starting to purchase some prepared items um, more often now, particularly prepared fruits. So what we can see here is the net switching volume to total prepared produce. So at Cantar, we can understand um, money movement between two particular areas. In this case, 
money moving between total whole head produce and total prepared. For a while, you can see that prepared was actually losing to whole head. However, in the latest few months, as lockdown starts to ease and restrictions starts to ease, we can see that actually shoppers are moving some of their spend from whole head back into prepared. Now, whole head is a far, far bigger market. So, you know, if you're operating whole head, I wouldn't say there's anything to worry about as such, but it, it just does show that, you know, that convenience element within prepared is starting to come back in. And that, that's a symbol of, um, I guess, going back to hopefully normality. In terms of some of the, the fastest growing prepared produce products um, over the last uh, over the last 12 weeks, um, there's quite a bit of a range here. I wouldn't say that there's a common theme as such. Uh, we do have the Tesco Five Pit Barbecue range, which as it encompasses quite a few different products, and that has that has benefited quite from the good weather that we've had um, over the last 12 weeks. Not not so much in the last uh, week or so, but definitely a few few months before that. So in the last broadcast, um, one of the last slides that I, I actually put was understanding, okay, well, we know these restrictions, they're going to be eased, we know out of home is going to open up again. Um, so what would happen to fresh veg from a consumption perspective? So we predict that will be a 5% increase despite opening, um, kind of lessening of restrictions. And that equates to an extra 238 million pounds. Now, for fresh fruit, is also very similar, so we predict a 3% increase there. But for prepared produce, even though we have seen a slight resurgence over the past few months, we still predict that there'll be 4% less occasions with a prepared as the new norm. Now, all of us operate in the world of fresh produce, and we always will talk about fresh produce, but from a consumption level, it's really interesting to see how consumption of vegetables actually has changed. So there have been 15.7 billion total vegetable occasions over the last year. That, that's an absolutely astronomical number. It's quite mind-boggling. You know, the amount of times that we're consuming vegetables, and it's such a big market to play in, so there's definitely room to actually win in this area. In terms of how this has changed over the last year, it's increased by 12%. So we are eating more vegetables than before. And within Cancel, we can get to a very granular detail of when are we actually consuming you know, a certain type of, of food and drink. In this case, talking about veg. So we can see that 31% of all vegetable occasions are now had at lunch. Now, a big part of this has obviously been the rise in working from home. And you know, I don't, I don't think a lot of companies will go back to a five-day week straight away. Certainly our company at Council, we, we wouldn't encourage that. So we do see lunch as quite a big occasion to actually tap into. We can see it on the right hand side, lunch has been the driving force of vegetable consumption in the latest year, 865 million additional occasions. So if you're a grower, if you're a client or cantor or you know, thinking about so working with us, this is the type of data, kind of interesting data and insight that, that we look to kind of supply and uh, give our expertise on. So in the blue there, these are some of the thoughts that you should be thinking about. So which sectors have managed to drive this growth? What else is on the plate with vegetables that are making them do so well? How can we do cross-product linkage? Especially when you know that online is such a growing sector. Online provides such a good platform to actually have multiple different categories in one basket and actually aim to promote that. Online is much easier than in store. So targeting these additional consumption moments is really important to drive sales. So the, I guess the key insight here is don't think about you know, vegetables by itself. It's you know, you're always going to have vegetables with something else. So that's really important to, to understand. So talking a bit more about online within total produce, we can see the different channel performances here and their associated KPIs. So online there, 58% growth over the last two weeks, which is just fantastic. And you can see the, the reason behind it, our shoppers are making more frequent trips online. And that's been a really key driver. On the right hand side, you can see the switching spend. So shoppers have still moved their spend from um, in-store supermarkets into online. And that represents almost 500 million pounds, uh, which is obviously a substantial amount. And the evolution for produce online um, has actually been quite slow initially. So from 2017 to 2019, you know, a very small increase um, in terms of share. However, the pandemic hit and we've almost doubled that, you know, in this case, to 12%. And we actually have seen a slight increase even then 
I mean, the latest year to 13.6%. So we've over doubled in the last four or five years or so. Um, and we looked this to, to continue to do really well. And in terms of frequency, you know, the amount of times that we've shot produce online, that's massively increased over the last year from 14 trips to 21 trips. So we are more engaged in, in online produce. So it definitely should be an area of consideration if you haven't thought about it already. However, we must um, put this into context of what's happening at a total grocery level. Um, so this is looking at monthly data rolling. And we can see in the last couple of periods, so June and July of this year, that the online channel share at a total growth level is actually looks to be stabilizing. So it does look that a new baseline is actually being established within total grocery online. So it hasn't really dipped as such. Um, it looks to be almost a new norm. So I guess the message here is watch the space. So kind of the last thing I want to talk about is the financial outlook. So we know that the fellow scheme is winding down or pretty much nearly ended. Um, and we have um, different groups of people who have different uh, financial um, issues. So we can actually group these people. And what we do, what we did at Cantor is a, a COVID-19 impact survey. So 10,000 respondents here. And this took place in, in April 2021. So we're able to group people accordingly. So we have those who have no limits and don't really have to restrict their spending in any way at all. Those who are maybe comfortable, um, I can do and afford most things. Those who are okay and those who are struggling. So just making ends meet and not sufficient to cover expenses. So, so bearing that in mind, um, you know, we can see how they've actually behaved um, over this time. And those are no limits or are very comfortable actually increase their spend as a shopper group, as I would expect, but those who are okay and struggling actually declined. And, and, and the message of the shop, they can see 1% of households moving from comfortable to struggling would wipe off 60 million pounds. So we have to really understand um, shopper spending. And indeed, when we think about uh, fresh produce, you know, we talked a bit about in the last broadcast on premium and organics and you know, leveraging price uh, as a way forward to grow the market is definitely really important. However, we must bear in mind that there are groups of shoppers who are unlikely to purchase premium organics, so we must target them. So a consumer from a CTD household, 14% less likely to prioritise health. And we know health demands a price premium. And among families, this jumps to 20% less likely. Also, really interestingly, 31 million skipped evening meals per week by this demographic. So... This is actually something to be aware of and to bear in mind. So, so what do we do to actually win? Um, we have seen the likes of Tesco and Aldi, you know, head to head in a price battle for what seems like forever. But the, the main thing there is that you know, they are targeting those who are potentially struggling, um, so able to, to afford those products. We have those with the same objective, so more buyers, category growth. And for me, the most important thing uh, are those points there. So thinking about actually to grow, grow the produce category, it's all about more category, more presence, new needs, more targets and more moments. If we can actually find more needs, you know, find more reasons to purchase a particular fruit or veg, then you're, you're going to win in, in this particular area. And, and, and that's it. So you know, if, if, you want to, if you want to contact me, um, I'm available through LinkedIn, so Rikesh Pachmatia, um, or you can send me an email, rikesh.pachmatia at kantar.com. Rikesh, well done. That, that was an absolute masterclass. I'm, I'm going to watch that again on, on the record because there's, there's so much to it. Rikesh, can you just um, um, stop your screen share and I'll make sure your contact details are on all, all the links. Can everyone just um, come on in because it's going to be fascinating to analyse. Uh, Rikesh, Rikesh, just as everyone's coming in, can you just give a bit of an understanding as to how you collate your your data? Because I described you as being this sort of mercurial individual, being able to uh, predict the future. And you've just proved that in, in, some, in some, some respects. How do you garner your data? Yeah, sure. So we have a 30,000 strong um, panelists. Um, so what they do is, for example, you'll go to Tesco, uh, you'll do your weekly shop and you, we scan everything that's that's going back into the home. So we collect everything about that trip, where you bought it, all the promotions, which products you bought, how much you bought, you know, pretty much as if you're going shopping with them. So that's the purchase element. And then the consumption element that you also saw in the data 
is a subset of the 30,000, uh, so 11,000 individuals. They fill out an online diary four times a year. So again, I, I kind of picture it as you're in the kitchen with them, understanding how are they preparing the meal? What are they doing with it? Why are they consuming a certain type of product? And that 30,000 is actually expanding to 100,000 next year. Um, so this will allow even more granularity of data. Yeah. Wow. Um, and Barbara, thank Barbara, thank you very much because you were tweeting as as mad as as Rakesh was um, was was going through that. So, so my takeaways, ever being the optimist, was looking at the uh, the fact that 31 percent of all uh, veg occasions uh, are now at lunch because we're all work, working from home, and this huge number of um, eight hundred sixty five million um, veg additional occasions. But then there's the frightening element of the e economic swing that if uh, if people um, have that dip um, e income wise or, or, or struggle financially, what an impact that's going to make. Barbara, what was your, your your thoughts on Rakesh's uh, presentation, please. Just what you said, the, the opportunity that's available now that we're all working from home and, and can eat more vegetables at lunchtime. But then that, that killer finish at the end, that 31 million meals have been skipped by people in that lower socioeconomic group. You, you, you cannot ignore that. That's directly saying that poverty is, is linked to poor health because it's not about choice then, it's a case of you either have the money or you don't. So telling people that they need to make better choices is irrelevant at that point. If they can't eat three meals a day, there's a, there's a big problem there that can't be solved by the food industry. That's a, a poverty issue. And, and Barbara, do you think the national food strategy will fix that? There's a few recommendations in there. And listening to the, the Henry Dimbleby interview that he did with Sarah Mukherjee, uh, you know, I like to listen to both the video and read the report. And they were talking about the reasons why they didn't just say, well, it's not the, the Department for Health and Social Care's responsibility. It's more about um, giving money to people and making sure they're not poor. But he expanded it into the reasons why they give healthy start vouchers and education at school, because it's about having lots of different initiatives to pull it all together rather than just say give people more money it's also about making sure that it's targeted towards fruit and vegetables as well but without the stigma of saying to people here's a voucher that you have to put at the cashier or what have you it's finding ways of doing it so it enhances what people can eat without you know stigmatizing them into a specific group well done, Barbara, and we'll come on to, to the National Food Strategy a little bit later. Um, Coral, I'm, I'm guessing that you might not have seen uh, Rakesh's presentation said before. What, what, was your, what was your thoughts? What, what were your takeaways from it? I think, it, I think it's very interesting. I mean, I've seen similar, similar presentations from Kantar previously, and I think it's a quite, quite, a, quite a scary outlook, I think, in, in terms of what, what might happen in the future, whether we lose those lunch opportunities as people head back to work. But I think it's also really exciting. There's a lot of opportunities for um, the fresh produce sector to continue that momentum, continue building, raising awareness, and, and a great opportunity for the British um, fresh produce industry as well to, to kind of capitalise on that and yeah, keep increasing it. Great. Well done. Thank you, Carl. And, and Jack, when we make you Prime Minister, I presume you're going to bring uh, Rakesh in as, uh, as your, your Chancellor, Chancellor of the Exchequer. Exchequer. Well, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's great having Rakesh on these, on these regular broadcasts because, I mean, he just brings such an insight into what's does, happening yeah. in the market and I think gives us um, cause for hope. I'd absolutely endorse Barbara's comment. That's a really salutary statistic about the number of people skipping meals. Um, and, you know, that should come through in our discussions about the national food strategy. But a year ago, I think, you know, in our discussions with growers, you know, they were you know, sitting here wondering how quickly the increase in sales of volumes of veg were going to tail off. And here we are 12 months on, and actually the volumes are just, you know, continuing to maintain or increase. Um, really interesting to see the statistic on prepared. Um, you know, which is encouraging because I think it's creating more opportunities for more people to consume vegetables on more occasions. Um, and the lunch statistic was really important. You know, let's yeah. just hope um, these are going to continue. Um, and the message about the importance of eating vegetables and fruit, you know, is really getting home to people. Yeah, it, it, you just couldn't make it up that you got this potential rise in uh, consumption. The, the last of the, the BBC uh, website yesterday was um, 
parading promoting i've forgotten his name um the chap um, one of the, the main instigators but behind uh, meat free um uh, burgers um and it was a long article and promoting that so you can see where the media is the uk media is looking looking to go to encourage people to eat more veg-based um diets um, but then we've got the issues as, as we we're talking about earlier jack in the way of the haulage uh, problems and uh and, and weather and, uh, and and labor it is it is such an odd time we are in but hopefully if we can get over the speed bumps that we discussed earlier mm -hmm. uh, growers in the uk and, and internationally will be in a good place as as the market uh, market moves moves um towards them yeah Rakesh, what we're seeing is an expanding expanding market and an expanding opportunity i think you know the really important point is making sure that the environment here in the uk for growers who are producing here in the uk is absolutely right so that we can capitalize on those advantages well said um rakesh thank you very much um, and we'll, as, as I said, we'll tag you on, uh, on everything so that people can get in contact with you direct um, and um, uh, also on, on the back of this. And uh, yes, if it's OK, we'd, we'd love to introduce you formally to Barbara for the likes of the Oxford Farming Conference, because I'm sure they would uh, lo love to get uh, yourself and your colleagues involved with that one. Rakesh, th thank you very much for, for your time and another masterclass. It's hugely appreciated. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you very soon. So, so Coral, let's... Coral, let's let's move over to to yourself and um, find out um, everything about the LSA. Jack, Barbara, could you just turn off your your videos because we need to concentrate on Coral because this is such an important um, subject. Um, Coral, is it okay if I just um, uh, read out some of the the, the main highlights? This, this is mainly for people on the podcast because we get some comments that um, they, they they love um, the, the speakers, the experts that they have on, but sometimes they just want to know a little bit more um, information. So, so Coral, if that's okay. So and correct me if I correct me if I'm if I'm wrong on on this, or feel free to add to it. So the LSA Charitable Trust has been brought together has brought together a selection of leading horticultural organisations to help shape a fellowship scheme which will help cultivate and mature prospective industry leaders, safeguarding the industry's future. The fellowship has been launched to develop the next leaders of the commercial horticultural industry, assisting developing professionals in the industry to become more engaged with its strategic leadership. Throughout the scheme, the fellows will increase the understanding of the role played by trade bodies and the associated committees in the development of industry strategies and communications with government. In addition, it will help to increase the knowledge of current research and increase their ability to evaluate the possible impact this will have on the industry. There will be communications between those on the scheme and a wide range of contacts in other businesses, trade bodies and research organisations. The scheme is supported by the National Farmers Union, British Growers Association, the Horticultural Trades Association, uh, Chartered Institute of Horticulture and the Ag and Hort Development Board. Coral, does that sound like a like a, a good summary, a good initial summary? You, you've done great. You've done my job for me. Thank you very much. <laughs> but, but, but Coral, we want to hear hear from you. What? Why? Why has it been set up? What is there a need for this? Massively, massively, I think. And it was set up, I think, nearly three years ago, um, led by Martin Emmett, um, who is a trustee of the of the LSA. Um, and he had he had an idea to kind of bring together this group of people to bring together. Um, other, other, yeah, other businesses within that sector, in, the, in our sector as well, to, to help young people within horticulture, kind of, I suppose, get get equate, get um, get informed about what is going on. And actually, yeah. we've had we've got um, eighteen people in the scheme at the moment. They've all said it's yeah. really interesting. yeah. So we've we've got eighteen in. So we're we're third year in, which is fabulous. Um, and yeah, they've all said I know about my business. I know about my sector. Whether that is strawberry production, whether that is. Um, uh, hardy nursery stock production but they've no idea what British growers do what HDB do what NFU do apart yeah. from you know in, and how they work and how those associations run and, and how government is you know how we are speaking yeah. to government how we communicate back out and how how these things have changed they have no idea because they're stuck in their jobs and doing what they what they need to do so okay. it's really important and Cora it's so difficult in our sector because every Everyone is so committed, but um, sometimes I do see do, do see this that um, because they're so uh, so committed, it's very difficult for them. They get very siloed, and it's no fault of their own. Um, they're just in it seven seven days a week, uh, looking at that. But if they can break out um, of it 
and experience um, other, other people, they'll very quickly find that the issues that they've got, the problems they've got in their own businesses are very similar to, to the issues that other people have got. But actually, if you talk about it and you suddenly find that um, um, everyone's got the same problems, but someone's got a solution, you can then sort of breathe a sigh of relief, take the emotion out of it, come back to your business and, and look to implement um, implement that that change. And, it, and it's, it, of course, one frustration I've always had with ag and, and fresh produce in comparison to engineering, that, that sometimes... Uh, we haven't been the best at um, communicating in, internally um, and and it, to, to actually break break that down and create a scheme like the LSA is going to be hugely beneficial. You can just see the, the changes that are going to be made and the fact that you've already got those sort of numbers um, in, involved, you, you must be very proud. It's absolutely brilliant. I'm, I'm very proud of all the fellows that are involved because I, I, by chance they're all absolutely wonderful. They are so, <laughs> so passionate about their sector, the industry and the industry as a whole. Um, they want to make changes, they want to help increase the scheme, they want to make sure that there is a, an industry for the future and that British produce is, is continued to be you know, successful and well thought of. It, yeah. It's fantastic. We, we almost don't need to run the scheme. They've got it. They've got it sorted <laughs> <for> themselves. <laughs> so, but yeah, but come, come on, Coral, let, let's, uh, let's present your challenge. Um, is, is that, that rubbishy question, but it's a very, very, very valid question. What does success look like? Where would you like the scheme to be, say, in three, four, five years um, down the line? What, what, what would make you really happy? What would make you even prouder? So I think in three or four years time, so the, the scheme is a two year scheme. So they're, they're, they're with us for two years whilst, whilst working with their, their, their jobs as well. So a bit of a sideline. Um, I'm hoping that within kind of three to five years time, we have a, a network of, of fellows and alumni from the scheme. Wow. That, that, have, that have a network, I think that's the most important part, is that network, to be able to discuss, to talk about issues, and to be able to talk to someone that is, doesn't do anything like what you do, but there's that connection, you've got, you've got a question to ask, you understand what they're doing, and have that wider connection, there's not just 18 people, there's, there's loads of us, there's, th yeah. there's 30 people, and they have those connections to the likes of yourself, Max, and they, they, can, they can talk yeah. to Jack, and they've, they've, met, they've met Barbara and Rakesh, and they know different, you know, um, key people within the industry and that those key yeah. people have a, a base of young enthusiastic passionate people that they can call upon they know probably one day we'll be in those positions as well yeah we yeah and, and, and again it's that that's where it's so exciting that we the, the I call it the zoom squares of death that, that we're currently on at the moment um, but to be able to to use that and hopefully as we as we uh, get out of the, the current situation to engage with those uh, th those organisations, those mentors, and for those individuals to, to learn and, and grow on that basis and not to be those, um, uh, God forbid, those, those siloed individuals. And, and I think what's, what's potentially also helping you, Coral, there's so many, this, this thoughts within this sector as a, as a whole about training development is so so key. We've done some uh, work directly with the AHDB uh, looking to promote the, the, the whole leadership element. We're yeah. running um, um, a um, another broadcast, I think it's later this year with the, with the likes of MDS, that this there's so much help and assistance that could be uh, presented out there but for, specifically for the LSA um, scheme how can how can we how can Beanstalk and all, all of our connections how can we help you how can we help you make it even more successful to get to that point where you want to get to uh, two three years down the line how can we help you great well we are looking for any opportunity where we can get our fellows up hopefully in the coming kind of near future in person out to events out meeting people whether it's to a very bizarre conference on asparagus or whether it's something that's that's maybe you know very close to government where it's, where it's a panel that they are deciding you know talk about the national food strategy or or you know attending the oxford yeah. farming conference and they get the, they have the opportunities to have those experiences talk to people that they would never cross paths with within their job role yeah. um, so any any help like that if you can spare half an hour to talk to the wow. group, if you can, yeah, invite them along to some meetings, whether it's just one or two of them or, or all of them, it's just it's just that keep helping create connections and experiences for them all. Fantastic. Well, sign me up if, if you think I'll be applicable to help. Yes, um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a gun for hire. Um, and, and I've just had a, a WhatsApp comment um, come in. How do people, what, what's the logistics? What's the housekeeping? Um, who's applicable to, to, to join? Um, could you just walk us through that, please? Yeah, so uh, essentially anyone is applicable to join me. We have got a, at the moment an age uh, cap of 45, but um, that is just a, 
precursor would we consider any anyone really um and as long as you are working within fresh produce or yeah uh, fresh produce or in or ornamentals so if you're yep, working yep. within within those roles ideally so that you've got your kind of feet under the table you know what your job's about we normally suggest at least a year within the industry um and so you can apply for the scheme we are opening up actually quite soon at the end of this month for applications to start in january um, we take on six fellows a year Wow. Sometimes we have exceeded that, depending on how many wonderful people we get get applying. Um, and the the I guess the the overview of the scheme is that you will receive a three thousand pound bursary, which you can then draw down on to attend different meetings and whether that's your, you know to cover your train fare, hotel costs, food costs. Um, and yeah, so we we aim to get kind of six people in each year. They have two years to help you draw down on that bursary and gain as much experience as possible fitting it around their current working patterns um, and yeah and, and really just to try and do as much as possible we encourage people to do anything weird and wacky that doesn't relate to what they're in at the moment um, yeah and we are also organizing a few study tours as well so we've got a few Fantastic. study tours going around the different fellows areas at the moment and hopefully an international one when we can excellent so there, there you go network if you can help mm. by um either there's a business or or a mentor or you've got a, a service that you can present to, to to help coral or if you want to join uh the the, the scheme get in contact with uh with, with the coral now and i know coral i know, know you will when you start to push out um the the application process um please tell us and we will tell our network so we can share it for you um so we can try try and create even more buzz uh, for, for you and your colleagues around that because training and de develop i, I keep Coral, keep on coming back to this um, uh, this this uh, this presentation I saw at Cranfield University years ago. That the companies that invest in their people see far better uh, growth in turnover and profitability and staff retention. And you can just imagine that if, if someone is coming on on the L LSA, uh, they're going to be uh, that much better a person in the respect of um, uh, being, being a leader and and um, more enjoyable to work with. And so the retention, so you're sort of training the leader, aren't you? Yeah. Train the trainer. So 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 that that then comes morphs down the rest of the business. Um, and, and so you have this positivity going all the way through. Coral, well, well done. Sounds sounds fascinating. If yeah, anything yeah. that we in the network could do to to, to help, just uh, just push upon us. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Max. And so Barbara, Jack, can you just uh, both both come come back in? Barbara, what what do you think? That's a great great scheme, isn't it? Yes, one of my clients is on the programme as well, so I've heard about it from her, and she all speaks really highly of it. And thanks for the reminder, Coral. I do need to make sure that all the fellows have at least applied to come to the conference yeah. next year. So <laughs> thanks for the reminder. I will catch up, definitely. And, and Jack, well done to British Growers for, for it being another um, bow, uh, arch bow, bow arrow, you know what I mean, oh. An another another service oh, that's a British Growers. Well, well, ooh, uh, well, well, well done, because I, I think that's one of the unique things about uh, British growers that that you're a trade association that is looking to make make a difference um, and um, look at looking to to do things that um, some some other trade groups and other sectors perhaps don't do. So to have the likes of Coral pushing, pushing, pushing this, I think is going to be invaluable for British growers, but also obviously for the, for the sector ongoing. Yeah, it's, it's been really interesting to have this opportunity to work with the LSA and also to push the people side of the industry because it's so important. And it's really important that we build up a pipeline of people who can talk authoritatively and knowledgeably on behalf of the sector um, because it is incredibly complicated, the fresh produce industry. You know, we're dealing with multiple different crops and they all march to a different beat. And there aren't that many people that fully understand the totality of the fresh produce industry, you know, and, and one can't expect the government to have all of the answers all of the time. And so to have these people who can come forward and represent the industry and speak authoritatively on behalf of the sector is really important, but they're not just going to come out of nowhere. You know, we've got to create the right environment to encourage yep. them. And that's what I think this initiative does so successfully. And, and this is one area where the sector is very philanthropic about, I don't want to, I don't want to say um, uh, teaching the young, but, but helping the next, the, mm. the, the, the next generation come, coming through, give to, 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 to take back. So yeah. it'd be fascinating to, to watch Coral and the, uh, and, and the LSA uh, proceed. So everyone uh, support Carol, support the, uh, the LSA. 
so everyone, let's let's move on to the the the, the next and final subject, uh, national food strategy. Uh, Barbara, just I know you've, you've very kindly done this for me previously. Just for those that might not be fully aware of it, or some of our international uh, viewers, can you just give an understanding as to what the national food strategy is, please? Yeah, so it's a document that's been prepared by Henry Dimbleby and his team. So we in the, the UK haven't really had a national food strategy for about 50 years. And what has been done is focusing purely on England. So when it says national food strategy, it's an English national food strategy and doesn't cover Northern Ireland, Scotland or Wales. But it has taken a food systems approach rather than just say, let's look at food from a consumer end or any other part of the system. It's looked at the whole food system and talked about the primary production all the way through to the consumer and the impacts on health and going into things like poverty and access. And we've been left with 14 recommendations. And the, the idea is that the 14 recommendations, all, all of the documents are gonna be reviewed by the government. And then six months time, they're going to respond to the white paper to all of these recommendations that have been put forward by Henry Dimbleby, who for an international audience, if you don't know him, he was the founder of a chain of restaurants called Leon, and he's also the founder of the Sustainable Restaurant Association, um, and the son of a very famous broadcaster, David Dimbleby. So, you know, in the UK, we all know him really well, but yeah. I guess if you were in Australia or South Africa, that might be um, something that you didn't know. And, and, and Jack, you, you've obviously got your political um, hat on today with with the view that there's going to be the white paper coming out in, in six months time, which is a hell of a pace for for the UK government. And Boris Johnson already intimating that he's not keen to tax anyone as per the recommendations of uh, the National Food Strategy. What, what's your take on that, Jack? Well, let's deal with Boris Johnson's response first, because that was quite interesting. And uh, you know, you've got a feel for the people who spent, I don't know, a year working on this document because um, we did have a stage one report about a year ago. Um, and the first thing the prime minister says, and he's, he's picked his words, I suspect he's picked his words very, very carefully. He says, I am not attracted to. Mm. Yeah. So what does that actually mean? I suspect what it means is there's plenty of scope for a massive U-turn if after thinking about it for four or five months, the government decides that's what's needed is a bit of a U-turn. The, the, the report, as Barbara so well outlined, you know, it talks about what we should be eating and how it's produced. So it's not without its controversies. Um, and there are bits of it that haven't gone down that well with the food industry. Um, you know, the bit about the sugar and salt reformation tax. I think that specifically was a bit the prime minister was referring to. Um, you know, it has been criticised. Um, I think the Sun came out with a vociferously um, uh, critical piece about it, about not telling people what to eat and how to eat it. Um, but within the body of the report, you know, there's lots and lots of good stuff. And I think, you know, the challenge is now on um, working with government to see how many of the recommendations we can get bedded into the government's white paper, which, as Barbara said, uh, is coming out in six months' time and will determine what government policy is on the future of food, uh, what we eat and the way we produce it, you know, probably for the next decade. I, I really want to go off on a, on a rant on this one, but I'm trying to hold myself back. No, Jack, obviously not at, at you. To, to me, there's, oh God, I've started. Um, there seems to be a, a lot of similarity to the likes of the tobacco industry, that um, when they realised that there was a big issue with, with tobacco and the, and the health problems that was creating, and they they um, they looked to lobby government to, and internally within government, to uh, ban tobacco or curtail it. But then uh, there were the pro-tobacco lobby stating, well, what about the tax that you're, you're getting from that? Within food, we've got 10 major food companies who make gazillions um, off the back of selling rubbish food, um, and they're currently lobbying uh, government to, 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 to curtail this. But surely we should be looking for them to uh, retrain, re re re-engineer themselves to, so that we are uh, creating and selling good food so we don't have the, the, the tsunami, the car crash that's happening within the NHS on obesity as mm. we did with tobacco. Mm. I, I'll, I'll stop my rant, but Carol, um, uh, uh, Barbara, what, what's your thought, thought on that? Do you, do you think there is, what's, what's your thought on the, on the reporter? Do you think, as Jack has intimated, that we will see a lot of it go through? It's going to be interesting to see what does go through. I think they'll probably end up cherry picking 
like Jack mentioned earlier, it's all about the public facing image and it's about what will land well rather than what will actually make a difference because every five years we elect a new government. So really, I think people will be looking to see what they can do within that, that remit of popularity, which seems to be the way that we're going. But if you think about what's happening now, we've also got the HFSS regulation coming through, which for um, the UK means that you'll not be able to advertise foods high in fat, salt and sugar before 9pm on TV, on the internet, and that comes in in April 2022. So I think there's a little bit of confusion in with that. So that is an actual regulation that is happening. What the, the National Food Strategy is talking about is the whole the salt and sugar reformulation tax, which would be in addition to that, so that you can get some of that revenue to help pay for things like vouchers or subsidising people to be able to, not subsidise, that's the wrong word, um, helping people to be able to buy food. So the two things are separate, but kind of on the same topic. And I, I do feel that having worked in the food industry, there are certain things that are easier to do than others. And from a manufacturing point of view, you'll know this, when people are planning promotions and sales with retailers, you don't do that on the, the turn of a penny, do you? You plan yeah. them in months in advance. So the food industry, I think is right to say, just give us a bit of breathing space. They're just trying to come out of a pandemic a labour shortage, a logistics issue, you know, there's only so much that you can do. So obviously you need that time. But at the same time, I think just focusing on the salt, sugar and formulation tax when there's, you know, another 13 recommendations to look at, yeah. quite distracting because what we really want to do is focus on the other things that they have recommended. So for example, reporting for large food companies, they'll now be advised to report the amounts of vegetable sales and fruit sales that they do. So at least we've got visibility of what is actually happening. And once yeah. you've got that benchmark and that level where you can see what's happening, you can look at how you can improve it rather than looking at policies where you don't really know what the consequence is gonna be. So I think that recommendation is good. And plus you've got the things around extra free school meals. So they're increasing the number of people who will be eligible for that with this recommendation, funding holiday activities and food. And one I really like about the whole diet-related inequality is the Community Eat Well programs. It's like getting people on low incomes to be able to improve their diets by having a program that encourages people to come and eat together and having meals wow. you know, yeah. cooked at a reasonable price that they can afford and being able to sit and eat with others. Because eating is not just a transactional thing that you do to get mm -hmm. calories in. It's an experiential, yeah. a cultural thing and how you eat. It's just important as what you eat. And I think those are some of the things around ending the junk food cycle and reducing diet-related inequality that I think are really important points. Jack, do, do you think it is possible that we can we can manoeuvre this, uh, this oil tank in the, in the right direction? Do, do you think there is this correlation between food companies and oil companies? Oil companies are now investing very heavily in green energy uh, because they can see that their, their days of um, selling oil uh, from 2030 onwards are potentially doomed. So they're trying to um, to uh, to pivot themselves. Jack, do you, do you think the food companies can re-engineer themselves? Well, it's quite interesting. Um, I mean, admittedly, I think this came from David Dimbleby himself. Uh, sorry, not David, Henry Dimbleby himself in an interview that I heard. And he seemed to infer that actually quite a lot of the food companies would welcome a legislative basis from which to work because... Um, I think the fear is that one person does something and nobody else follows. Uh, and as a result, that company move, loses out. Yeah. So if, if there was legislation in place that forced everybody to move at the same pace, uh, it might be beneficial for everybody. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see. I think there's a lot of water to go under the bridge before um, you know, a lot of this gets uh, implemented. But, you know, while we're just on the subject, um, you know, one area that's largely gone unnoticed um, is, you know, one or two very small comments, but very significant comments about the um, fresh produce industry. Uh, and I'm going to let you into a secret here because um, I had several conversations with the team that were drafting the report, probably six to eight weeks before it was published, about what we might be able to do or say about helping the fresh produce industry here in the UK. And interestingly, within the body of the report, there are a number of very short but very significant statements. Let me just run through them because they are really important. The first one is that the fresh produce sector is 
the one sector of primary food production where growth most closely aligns with the national interest. So basically what they're saying is what we've been saying for the past 50 minutes is actually there is a need to grow um, uh, our fresh produce sector. They also say that there are opportunities for UK growers to increase their share of the market. And they've suggested that growing our fruit and veg production capability should be a priority for DEFRA. Um, and that that capability needs to be supported by a program of investment, which is designed to boost productivity and sustainability. So, you know, from our point of view, um, you know, as representing the growing end of the industry, there's an awful lot to play for. And I think the next two or three months is going to be spent, you know, trying to make sure that this comes out in the government's white paper and that when it's published, there is a very clear statement of intent about how the government could support the production wow. of fresh produce in the future. So, you know, I definitely, from that point of view, give it the thumbs up. You know, there's some really helpful material within the report. Excellent. Well, well done. Uh, Coral, I'm just going to give you a, a, a real world example. And uh, Barbara will tell, tell me off because she has, has done, when I've, I've done these before, but let's, let's see how, how we go with it. I've, I've got a, um, a vicar mate um, up in Leicestershire and I went to see him this weekend and he was beside me over a wedding. Um, and I sat at the back and uh, uh, took some photos of my vicar mate for his uh, profile, would, would, you, would you believe? And uh, just looking at the people coming in, they, they, were, they were obese. Uh, the, there were 60 odd people there and they were very large um, and it was, how, how do I um, describe this, uh, they were all having a, a fantastic time, they were of, um, of, a, of a certain e economic um, uh, standard. Uh, that evening um, with my vicar mate, uh, we then met up with his friends, we went for a 30 mile bike ride, Jack would have survived, I, I nearly died, um, but at the, at the barbecue afterwards we were then having this debate as to where this, uh, where, and as someone said, well, well it's only the, the, uh, those that are well off that can afford to be fit. And I got really, well, but it comes back to what, what Barbara's um, uh, and uh, Rakesh's uh, presentation in a way. Cor Coral, what are you seeing out there? Are, are, you, are you confident with the likes of the, the national food strategy that we will see a difference? Or, or do you think we're doomed to just be a nation of fatties? No, I, I think I think with the national food strategy, I think with the other kind of educational um, schemes that are out there, like, like the veg power, trying to teach, teach people that actually vegetables Although but I know they are quite expensive, but you can chop up an onion and pop it in your pasta sauce and you've already got, you know, one, one of your five a day in there. Um, but actually, it's, it's, it's the easy small changes that I think we're bringing in and hopefully encouraging people to learn about at school ages and, and kind of um, parental ages when they're bringing up small children as well. I think that's really important. And the, my fellows, when we speak to them, we've, we've had quite a lot of chats with Dan Parker as well. And we, everyone's very passionate about the fact that we need to... We need to inspire and educate people as to why fresh produce is great and it's not scary to cook and it's easy to prepare and it's and there's a few barriers around that kind of perception of fresh produce as well. But but uh, Coral, well, it was not. But there's so many uh, positives. Mm. It's the United Nations Year of uh, 2021 Year of uh, Fruit and Veg. We got we're in the middle of the uh, the, the Olympics. Um, even a even a tomato or carrot grower can uh, post some amazing social media um, up in comparison to 10, 10 12, 12 years ago. Barbara, you go on, tell 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 me off because just a bit in context. Barbara's told Matt, me off in the past. You are on your your final warning. We know that obesity is a complex issue. Lots of factors involved. You know, it's multifactorial. So the fact that you're like, well, you know, people just did X. You know, we've had this conversation. It's not how it works. Yeah. <laughs> right. So so, 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 give us the <laughs> so give us the answers. It, or, or do you think the national food strategy is going to is going to help turn turn this uh, this this uh, tanker of, um, of of bad health of UK bad health into into the right direction, Barbara? Well, there's one recommendation at the end, which is about setting clear targets and legislation for long term health um, long-term change and I think that's really important so yes all the other 13 recommendations are good too but it's about this whole food system approach that I talked about at the top of the hour and they haven't just said well let's do one thing it's about looking at things holistically and there was a, an interesting slide that they shared which represents all the different departments that have an input into food in England I think we've got 16 different government departments whether it's treasury education so there are lots of areas with an interest and decision-making powers and it's almost like who shouts loudest gets what they want and we need to be able to bring lots of different initiatives together 
into one place so that we can all move together in the, the right direction and not just have this this blaming people don't do the right yeah. thing because well, a lot of it isn't related to choice no agreed so, so jack you're fairly confident as prime minister of fresh produce in the uk that this will not be kicked into the long grass I sincerely hope not, because there's a lot of time and effort for a lot of work gone into it. it. And there are bits of it which are massively important. So, you know, I think as an industry, we have a, an obligation to make sure that um, exactly that doesn't happen. It's not kicked into the long grass. They do pick up on the key recommendations. You know, we see to start to see them coming through in government policy, you know, in the months ahead. Yeah, and I think with the likes of Jack, British Growers, all of your great, great colleagues, the likes of uh, Barbara um, and all, all your associations, Barbara, with the likes of the also Farming Conference, there's, a, there's enough of a team there to keep keep the subject uh, not, not alive, but um, even progressively forward with Coral also looking to, 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 to assist the leadership with the, with the, um, the likes of, the, of, of her scheme. I, I think the future would have been optimistic is, is going to be very, very, very positive. Everyone, just uh, slightly running out of time. Um, Coral, is there anything that you'd like to, um, to, to say to summarise up on this um, British Growers broadcast before we wrap up, please? Um, I just think it'd be really important just to say there's lots of opportunities. It's an exciting time within horticulture in general. There's, there seems to be the last couple of years, everything is happening so quickly. There's a lot of stuff going on. And I think though it can, there are changes and, and uh, different opportunities can be quite, quite scary. I think it's exciting. We've got um, some great people in the industry now, some great young people in the industry. And I think it's going to be really exciting to see where we go in the next 5, 10, 15 years. Coral, well said. Barbara. I think we've got a great opportunity ahead of us to make good changes, positive changes, so many different initiatives in place, looking at environmental labelling, looking at funding opportunities, if they do go with the recommendation of putting money into fresh produce. So we do need to make sure that we're all front and centre and making a good effort and implementing all of these initiatives as soon as we get the opportunity. It's not to be wasted. I don't think we'll see another opportunity like this for a long time. Yeah. Agreed. It just does, does feel like a generational shift. Jack, wrap up for us, please. Yeah, I think, you know, as Barbara and Coral have both said, it's all about opportunity, opportunity and opportunity. And what we've got to do now is just make that opportunity stick, you know, in all its different formats. Um, you know, there are some issues which have got to be addressed, whether it's labour or returns, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, we've got to travel, hopefully, here. Um, and... You know, the opportunities sitting in front of us are very significant um, and I think it's beholden on all of us to you know reach out and try and grasp them very firmly with both hands. Jack well said so the future's bright we have some speed bumps to, to, to get over but with the likes of Coral uh, with the likes of Barbara with the likes of Jack I think uh, uh, we're all pointing in the right direction. Everyone thank you very much and we look forward to uh, running the next British Growers broadcast uh, uh, very shortly. Thank you everyone keep safe. Thank you. Thanks, Max. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Thank Take you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.